0: And dangerous.
1: From WDBM East Lansing, you are listening to Impact Isle, the soon voice of Michigan State University basketball,
2: bringing you news, updates, and more. I'm
0: proud
1: of myself being here all day. Yeah, it's snow outside. Yeah.
0: but especially Michigan
1: State. What is up, members of the Izzone, and welcome back to Impact Izzone, your one and only source for Michigan State men's basketball, brought to you by Impact 89FM, WDBM, a part of the Impact Sports Podcast Network. Back again for Season 6, Episode 23 of the pod. Julian Mitchell joined in studio by Joey Ellis, Joe Dandrin, and Kyle Turk all here with me. These boys flew out to Washington, D.C., caught the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games, so it's only right we have you guys in the studio. How, how's everybody doing? Wow.
3: That's all he's got.
1: That's all he's got. That's We're, all he needs to say. Blueface, I'm, I'm battling.
3: It, it's been, it's <laughs> been a long couple a of weeks, Julian, uh, uh, opposed to these clowns over here just dancing around just the subject. Just
2: clowns. I, I have been, you know, the, the, between the red-eye flights... I'm just now getting the sea legs back under me, and now we're just ready to go back out to. Am I spoiling it by saying we're going to Minneapolis? Is that a spoiler? Alert? No, I think everybody no.
1: knows. I think they should know. It's only right. right. Like, it would be terrible yeah. if we've done all these flights and then it just <laughs> stopped at Minneapolis.
2: Well, like, you click on Impact Is On Podcast, you click mm-hmm. on our tweet, you click on the post, whatever. You, you might know, I think, that MSU's in the Final Four at this point, probably. Like, a good chance, 75% Maybe. at yeah, least. I would, I would hope. I, yes. I, I would think like a, so. Like a 64% chance at least. Sure. Yes, I think wow. you would. I think you would, Joe. How you doing? Your I'm trip to
1: D.C. man,
4: man, I flew.
1: Yeah. How was the first <laughs> flight? <laughs> Yo.
4: <laughs> okay. Okay. I I don't know if I would take it that far, but it was it was nice. It was, it was very convenient, and also, Turk isn't a red eye flight when it's in like the middle of the night. Correct. Or yeah.
2: Or like five a.m. No. 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 Red eyes. Red eyes. Like, right. like you're waking up. Nope. No. no. Red
1: eyes. Are you sleep like... on during the night of the flight? Then you wake up back in time for you to just go back to work. <laughs> yep.
4: Pardon, I, don't, I don't remember. Me. I just didn't remember. Pardon me. I just didn't. I know. He said red-eye flying. I was like, I don't know. We Never mind. But Yeah. Okay, he he so, knows more about traveling than I do now. No, I don't. He's,
2: he's been on two flights. Also, I don't know, did, you,
1: did you ask the guy at TSA if you needed to stop, take like, your belt and glasses stop. off
4: before you went through? No.
1: Okay. So you're already better than Turkey. Yep.
2: <laughs> I, I knew about
1: the belt. You kidding oh, yeah. me?
2: Yeah. You kidding
1: me? <laughs> but
4: t- t- that is stressful because everybody behind you is That's like- a fact. For, In the biggest rush of their lives- we got pre-checked on the way home from DC. Yes, that for was for no nice. reason.
2: It's big. Joey already got you know already got his little pre-check, but Joe and I like free of charge. That's Sh- hype. Shouts Delta.
1: Yeah, sometimes they do it randomly. That's dope. Shouts Delta. Shouts Delta. Flying Delta again to head to Minneapolis. Big time. Big
2: ooh time. Also, I was the screens in the back. You don't get that on a United flight. I'll yep. just put that out there. You for do you. not really. That's you bad. also also I realized
4: after we got back that United was the. Uh, the whatever you want to call them, plane, I don't know, travel company that threw the guy off the plane. Yeah, it wasn't yes. Delta. For some reason, I thought it was Delta before we no, left. Was, for what? When? when? I don't know.
1: That was it. Was a, it was a while ago? I forgot. Yeah. I forgot Moving exactly on. all the things. Sorry. But yeah, they threw they threw they threw him oh, the, oh, off for the plane. overbooking. I can't. I can't. It was remember. probably, oh, it, was probably it, it was it was something a lot more hotter than just overbooking. But Sheesh. either way, that doesn't matter. Basketball is what we're here to talk about, and what happened in DC, Michigan State. Went all the way to the Elite Eight, took on Duke, and the Spartans conquered Mount Zion. They knock off the Blue Devils 68-67 to in an instant classic, as Joe dubbed it in his recap on the website. One of the best games of the tournament. I think this was the best weekend of the tournament by far. But the Spartans able to win, advanced to the first Final Four since 2015. Just some stats real quick from the game. Cassius Winston, 20 points, 10 assists, 4 steals. He was not a 23 from the field. 2 of 4 from 3 in 40 minutes. Xavier Tillman chipped in with 19 points and 9 rebounds. And then for Duke, Zion Williamson, the force of nature that he is, 24 points, 14 rebounds, 10 and 19 from the field. And R.J. Barrett, 21 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists for him in the losing effort. And guys, initially first, I just want to get your initial thoughts, takeaways from the game. I mean, you took it all in from D.C., got to see the the pregame of all players kind of at a very high level to play in the Elite Eight, and then the low of, of Duke especially losing a game that was a one-point loss.
3: And quite potentially, Tom Izzo's biggest win of his career in terms of just what he was going up against and, and what was on the line, being able to get back to a Final Four against a team in Duke, which has been, you know, hailed as maybe the best Duke team ever assembled with maybe the best freshman class ever assembled in college basketball. And like you said, Zion Williamson certainly lives up to that billing. He was an absolute load to deal with. But credit Xavier Tillman. I thought he did a a really good job defensively on him. You're not going to be able to stop him fully just because that's how good and talented Zion Williamson is. But Tillman was able to stay in front of him for the most part, and it was a collective defensive effort, and and that was a difference. R.J. Barrett, pretty hot start for him. Michigan State really couldn't handle him, but down the stretch he really – fizzled off there, was not as efficient as he was earlier in the game, which was kind of unusual the way he he gets his points. So it, it was a huge win for Michigan State, and now they've got to be liking their chances to to win this whole thing.
4: I mean, and Barrett was a little inefficient, I thought, with the uh, shooting going all the 7-17 from the field. Um, I mean, that's just like, I don't know, I feel like he's better than that, and it didn't really show in that game. They did, I thought they did a pretty good job defending him. Um, they kept the other guys on the team in check for the most part, Jones, who had 22 points against Virginia Tech, didn't have that same type of impact against Michigan State, which I thought was big. Um, and Zion Williamson just did everything he could to, I mean, will this team to the win. Um, but obviously, Michigan State coming out on top. That was, I mean, I don't know. That was huge. It was, it was kind of strange seeing this Michigan State team beat such a transcendent team in Duke because of all the expectations everything that had been just this heralded team, everything around it this entire year. And of all teams, Michigan State was the ones to take them down, especially with Izzo being only one of 11 going in against Coach K. It was just seemed like it was just they defied all the odds.
2: Rebounding was a problem, uh, or maybe a talking point heading in. Duke got rebounded them. Uh, turnovers, MSU somehow forced R.J. Barrett to commit seven turnovers, and Zion had five. That was where the game was won for me. It was with with RJ Barrett trying to just keep tossing the ball into the post against Tillman, against Goins. Team defense. That's the best team defense I've seen MSU play all year. And they needed it to stop two guys. That, That tells you how good Duke is in those two guys. But whether it was Matt McQuaid coming off and helping, Aaron Henry coming off and helping, that was the best MSU's played defensively in some stretches all year. There's... There is that what 0 Duke run twelve zero Duke run where where they went up by nine it, quickly it, too and it was just outside shooting falling for them but overall in the last what, eight minutes MSU played a played a great game uh, especially defensively and then Cassius Winston maybe the calmest you can possibly be in an elite eight game like that just able to distribute able to find Xavier Tillman time and time again uh not enough can be said about that performance and and deserves the the plaudits that he got this week.
1: Yeah, and you all hit on probably the biggest thing for me, at least just on the court wise for Michigan State was the defense. It's been tremendous all season and it was even better against Duke, a team that not a lot of people gave Michigan State enough credit in saying their defense could slow this team down and you all hit on it at points. Xavier Tillman, I think, is the key point, and he has been since getting the starts in those last five games of the regular season. And I don't know how else to say it anymore, but I think he's one of the best big-man de- big defenders in the entire country. His ability to defend big men down low, yet also perimeter guards slash positionless forwards like Zion Williamson has been exceptional. I mean, he did the same thing to Xavier Simpson. He's just able to, to stay in front, keep the guy on him, and recover enough to alter or even block shots. And I think he is the biggest anchoring point for this Michigan State defense. And I think with him going, they can take on any team in the country. Well, I think he's
3: only a sophomore, and I think he's already creeping into the territory, being one of the better big men in the entire country. Just off season, getting in shape was a, was a huge thing for him. And it is clearly uh, showing off, as you said, Julian. He's able to switch on a, to quicker guards and pretty much defend anybody one through five. And People forget about the, they, they want to talk about the big Kenny Goins basket, but just a, a play or two before there when Cassius Winston got in the lane, triple teamed, it was, I don't know if it was an actually an alley-oop or he just threw it towards the rim, and, and Tillman had the awareness to cut back door and put a huge bucket in there. I mean, that was a big-time basket for Michigan State, and he, as you're saying, is just continuing to be the most reliable big man for this team. When you need a bucket, he's going to give you it 19 points, 9 rebounds, all hard-earned against Zion Williamson, who was, I don't know how many rebounds he finished with, 14. Um, So he really does it all for Michigan State. And when he's playing well and effective, something that's going to be a big thing to watch against Texas Tech, I think Michigan State really, really plays well.
1: And I want to ask, you look at the box score, I think Nick Ward had about nine points in this game, only played, I think, a little less than 20 minutes. And obviously the season's still going on. We're not necessarily doing a season recap and looking at what will happen next year. But I think Xavier Tillman now... Has truly cemented his spot as a starting guy. I don't, I don't think you go to Nick Ward anymore. I mean, I think he he will help you obviously he's Big Ten play and next year and things. But I think Xavier Tillman's the better guy at that spot.
2: Not a debate anymore. I don't think it's much of a debate anymore. I st-
3: I don't know. I I'm not I'm not ready to jump off on Ward yet. No, but, but I'll tell you if he misses any more just bunnies that just kill you in crucial. Games because Tillman is the more efficient player. He's he's reliable. You need a bucket down low. I think he's got even better hands than Ward, who maybe started the season having the better hands for the big man. But he very well might have surpassed Ward as the better, definitely more reliable big on the team. But I think Nick Ward is still a a very important piece to this team. I mean, he he missed out on six four six points there with some of the easy bunnies he makes usually makes, but he could be the difference for. A Texas Tech team who really doesn't have all that much of
2: size. The reason I say that is less about Ward than it is about Tillman. Yeah, I I think you go, you can't get to where MSU is at without Ward getting hurt and then Tillman stepping in the way he did. Right, because they were forced to change the offense and then uh, the the domino effect from all that.
4: I mean, yeah, Ward is such a. I mean, he's still uh, to me, he's still an important piece of the team, obviously because of what he brings offensively. I think that's better suited coming off the bench, but Tillman just. I don't think you can really say that he's not going to start going into next season, or obviously the rest of the way now, um, with his performance against Duke and just his performance in the tournament in general. I think he brings so much more intangibles than Ward does. His just his personality, his leadership, I mean, his ability to make plays that aren't necessarily scoring the basketball or you know like block I mean he obviously he plays great defense blocking shots but he's able to just do like little things I think a lot better than Ward is and he still brings that same if not better more athleticism and talent too
1: it's gonna be a very interesting thing to keep looking at going forward because I, I personally think Nick Ward just got played off the floor against Duke. I think that was the big he came in missed some bad shots he wasn't all there on defense you go back and, and watch some of Zion. the film and that's the and, it, right. it is one of the toughest things what are you but, gonna do and that's the thing that I think the more they more the more and more they play more teams, not necessarily with the Zion, but with more players like that, rather than a Big Ten setting. I think that's going to
4: show. Yeah, and I, you talk about him just not being there on defense. That's a big reason why I think Tillman is the better, just the guy there because Tillman, you don't have to worry about that. He's more athletic, he's always going to exactly. be. He's always going to be locked in on defense, whether or not he's getting his touches. I think Tillman, in a lot of ways, is just the better player in that respect. If Ward's not getting his touches on offense. He's not going to be happy, and he's not going to play as hard on defense. It sucks for Ward because it's not his fault. It he really got hurt. does. Yeah, it's not no, his yeah. fault
2: he got hurt. It's not his fault that Tillman has blossomed the way he has. But there are deficiencies to his game, and and I don't know if they're necessarily there with Tillman. I think I think you cannot afford to not play Tillman, and these last two games have proved that you can afford to sit Ward. When you you
3: saw it though, when when they did rest Tillman for a couple minutes and it was Ward in there he was on Williamson and nobody's going to de- be able to defend Zion but I mean he was struggling defending Mo Wagner last year who athletic wise isn't you know anything you haven't seen in the college game
4: yeah he's it's, a completely different player then so, than so they was. totally
3: saw Michigan State struggling with Ward in and they were trying to just keep Tillman rested but that was at a crucial spot there so right away you saw Xavier pop up off the bench so I just think athletically He gives you a whole lot more for what Michigan State wants to run. But I think Ward still is is definitely a valuable piece, maybe just coming off the bench now.
1: It'll be interesting to see how Ward gets utilized in these last couple of games potentially to end the season.
2: Minus 7, Ward on the court. Tillman plus 8. I think that that's that's that really the difference. Out. That's the difference, and I think it's defensively more than anything else.
1: I think Nick, it's not anything against Nick Ward's offense. I think you would you could argue in terms of post offense, he's a better offensive player. He but it's like Duke two did, shots,
2: Joey. I think he missed two shots, two big ones. Doesn't they were, matter. They were easy. They needed to go in, and MSU would have kicked themselves. Right. They'd but lost how many? many of those has he missed? A ton. <laughs> not it's many. not the
1: offense to me that gets. me. Not it's the many. defense, and Duke yes. did it a couple times. They put them in ball screen scenarios, and yes, part of it is. Izzo's game plan of hedging on the ball screen, but he would hedge, War comes up, is running to the rim for an easy bucket. He just really can't defend. He, I he's, mean, he's just not the best He's not a defender. good defender. But either way, one thing that really stuck out to me is I'm watching the game, and obviously you guys are there, you got to see it all, but it was a very physical game. And being in that arena, that environment, I think I could feel the tension from the TV, and so I just want to know, for you guys being there and watching all of it play through, the refs really allowed this one to kind of just have the players run it, and did you feel that tension, that physicality in the arena?
3: They they let him to a degree, but then you also get the calls of Zion just p- jockeying for position and Tillman just trying to defend him, and you're getting those quick whistles, something that Williamson's gotten pretty much all season long. But it definitely, they swallowed their whistles on more of the calls, which I like it. If you're going to you know officiate it that way, you may as well be consistent. And, and that's what both teams are. I mean, before the game, Duke was talking about how they felt they were just as physical, if not more, than a Michigan State team that prides itself on his physicality. But when you got a guy like Williamson who rebounds as hard as he does, you're going to have to be physical because it's not easy carving out space with that guy to get the rebounds. But it, it lived up to the the heavyweight fight that we thought it was going to be.
2: It came back to bite Duke, too, especially at the end because they wanted to foul Winston and get him in the line. But they had, I think the, that was their fourth or fifth foul. At yeah, I maybe. Mean, I
1: think they had three fouls left before even entering the bonus. And,
2: and someone, people after the game were sitting there, oh, that was the problem with the game is that Duke. Duke didn't do have didn't foul enough. It was like that. It made no sense. Yeah, but it's ridiculous. But I, I I've seen I saw it tossed out. There's a, a reason Coach K failed uh, from a coaching standpoint is because they didn't have enough fouls at the end of the game. Like, what are you gonna do? What you Intentionally gonna do? foul with two minutes left? Yeah.
1: But a moving from the defensive side of the ball and and that sort of area, offensively to me, Michigan State at this point, is run by Cassius Winston. And once again, another tremendous game, 20 points, 10 assists for him in this one. He was recently named by the Associated Press the first team All-American, along with John Morant, Zion Williamson, and R.J. Barrett on that first team. Grant Williams, as well, uh, from Tennessee. Anything I say has already been said at this point about Winston. But the way he controls tempo and pace he does it in a way that I don't think any other point guard in the country does. And that's one of the reasons Michigan State is able to win games against these bigger opponents without with still being so shorthanded at this point. His ability to finish around the rim with runners and floaters is just exceptional. And speaking with him post-game, as I'm sure you all did, I saw a lot of the tweets and things that came out of that, and watching it all play out in D.C., what did you guys see from him when the lights were brightest?
4: I mean, I, that's he was just very... Especially at the end of the, right after the game, I guess I'll talk about first. Um, just very, you know, like just the type of player he is. He's not an athletic guy. He's not super fast. He just understands the game. He's an incredibly intelligent basketball player. You just he's like very cerebral. It's not his. I mean, he's got obviously a lot of talent with the basketball you know shot maker, his floater, and he he understands his athletic you know incapabilities, I guess I'll say. Um, and just after the game, he said, you know, like this, you know, they didn't expect me to, I mean, obviously you hear that from a lot of people, you know, he's like, they didn't expect me to be here because he just doesn't look like that guy. He's not built like a John Morant or Zion Williamson. He's not just going to go, you know, just dunk over somebody in the middle of the lane. Um, and I just think that's, he's just a very like college basketball player. Um, he's like not a guy who's going to go to the NBA and be, you know, like an incredible NBA player but he's extremely good at the college level because of how he understands like what he's able to do. He understands how to use what he's capable of doing.
3: I think the biggest thing for him was just the one turnover too. I mean, he was coming off a game against LSU. He had five of them against Tremont Waters, and then he goes up against arguably the best on-ball defender in the country in Trey Jones, who was really extending their defense. Duke was pretty much up to the half court once Winston was bringing it over across the timeline there. And he was just very clean with the ball, and like Joe was saying, always just making the right play. Always seemed in control. Didn't shoot it all too well, but he had to shoot all 23 of those shot attempts. I, I think for Michigan State to go, he needs to be the focal point there. And he, he played all 40 minutes. He did look gassed a bit in the last, you know, two or so minutes. So if you're Michigan State, you were just hoping he could hang on there. But I mean, it was a, just another unbelievable performance from Cassius Winston, and they're going to need that more from him in in these next two games, at least one game if Michigan State wants to go where it wants to go.
1: And along with Winston, obviously, the guy who has to be talked about, the hero of the game, I'm sure that that shot is going to be replayed for the rest of his Spartan careers, the rest of his life. Uh, the shot from Kenny Goins to give Michigan State the lead 68-66 with 34 seconds left, uh, three from the, by the top of the key, the left wing over there. And first... One thing that I want to get into, and it's something that I haven't seen a lot of people talk about, and I think with the shot being hit there, kind of is going to be undersold, but Kenny Goins is not being great in this tournament. Uh, look at his shooting numbers in the four games Michigan State has played. He's 6 of 27 from three. That's 22% in those four tournament games. And Am I going crazy for saying this? After he just hits this shot, obviously his confidence is boosted. He hit the one to win the game, but I'm worried about this. I don't think this is conducive if you're Michigan State to keep going if Kenny Goins is going to shoot like this if, am I crazy or is this something I think everyone should be worried about
2: you you mean just offensively right you're not talking about his defense as not well. talking
1: about his defense but his three-point shooting is one of the reasons this Michigan State offense works because you look around Matt McQuaid yes is is probably one of their better sh- three-point shooters but he's not getting the same you know curl screens the same looks he was getting before a lot of those have been switched to Kenny Goins on a pick and pop
2: yeah it's been weird too because outside of the pick and pop, he's been forced to put the ball on the floor a little bit more lately too and and try to get to the rim. But I think the 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 shots he did hit relatively important ones. I think there's that dunk to start the game and then I think there was a little mini duke run sometime in the middle of the second half and and Henry who who it must be said, like I don't think any of the Spartan starters played poorly the entire evening, which is pretty crazy to think about. Offensively they weren't great still.
1: What do you okay, I think Aaron Henry had some Henry yeah. had moments. He had some moments where he, the lights were definitely, he was not necessarily
2: ready. But a couple of finds too, right? A couple of good finds. He yeah. found Tillman in the first half, and then the the other Goins layup, in the second half that was a big time moment there. And and we were talking the, the threes he might have hit. What was he two of eight on the on the night from yeah, three? Yeah, two of eight on the night. Well, the both the ones he hit pretty damn important. Which is true. Yeah, which is that's take, that's where I, think, I get really I, concerned. I mean, the I numbers. Think you take are there. what you can get. That, that's I know you, I'm trying to answer your question mm-hmm. I think I think you take what you can get at this point because he's not gonna shoot 45 percent. I think he was close to 50 to and big 10 play you know just in terms of like last five games rolling. he was, he was pretty close to 45 50 percent it can't it can't obviously stay at that level forever, especially when the the space gets a little tighter. Julian going off of your concern
3: I think if anything it's just the more concern of the sporting cast still it's been something that's been in question. And you're going to need much better games from Matt McQuaid and Kenny Goins, especially considering they're your two seniors. Aaron Henry, as Kyle said, he had some plays when they needed to, four assists, some big-time passes, and, and was pretty darn good defensively. But against this Texas Tech team, I know we'll touch on it in a second, you're going to have to hit shots, especially against you know arguably the best defense in the country. So you're going to need shots when you get them. And, and like you said, Kenny Goins gets quite a bit of open looks throughout the game, and it's just a matter of him hitting those or not. It'll be interesting with the bigger stadium, the bigger venue. You know, sometimes it affects shooting how Goins and McQuaid and all their sharpshooters get affected by that. But either way, Michigan State's definitely going to need a a more improved offensive production from those guys.
1: And moving away from the basketball side of things, the on-court side of things, getting to some of the storylines that come with the win for Michigan State, head coach Tom Mizzell of the Spartans now 2-11 against Coach K in his career. And while it doesn't necessarily make up for the 11 losses that Izzo has taken against Coach K, it does avenge the 2015 loss in the Final Four to Duke that Michigan State faced. And to me, I look at this one, Tom Izzo completely outcoached Coach K in this game. I think that is – I think it's definite. I think it's a fact. I think most people would agree. And one thing – shout out to the to the guys that listen to their podcast, the One Shining podcast on The Ringer, Mark Titus, Tate Frazier. But one thing they brought up that I didn't really think about, and they said this – It was kind of a flipped script. This has been head coach Tom Izzo's probably best coaching job at Michigan State. Well, for them at least, they said this was Coach K's worst coaching job at Duke. And so I want to pose that to you guys, what you all think, as Izzo outcoached Coach K in this one. And I think also this flipped a script in terms of who these two teams are. Last season, Tom Izzo brought in a younger team, had some freshmen on it. He was working through a bunch of one-and-done type players. Coach K has a bunch of one-and-done type players this year versus Izzo's more veteran team, Cassius Winston's a junior. And at the end of the day, the vets went out against
2: the freshmen. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily Coach K's worst coaching job because a basketball team is not just five guys. They had next to no depth. Reddish was hurt. Uh... Is it his fault that he recruited poorly for guys like Jack White, uh, something O'Connell? Alex. Alex O'Connell, thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> they they needed guys to supplement the guys they had on the floor. The, you, you don't win titles with just Zion Williamson, just R.J. Barrett, just Cam Reddish, even though those guys are top X players in the nation. Uh, basketball, team game, yada, yada. I think you guys get the point. Meanwhile... I mean, it's a good coaching job. I don't think that can really be overstated, given that he lost, you know, all the players he had so far this year.
4: I think that's just a, I mean, it's very a big, like you said, it's a flip of the script, because Coach K has always been heralded for, you know, he's been keeping his guys when he had J.J. Redick, Shane Battier, guys in the past. But now, ever since, you know, the 15, he's gone towards more of, like, one-and-dones. And I think that has anything that can play a role in the depth. Hasn't made a Final Four since that time, by the way. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, I don't, and that's just like a, it was very interesting because Coach K usually has those older guys on his teams, the teams that have been those national title teams with the, uh, I feel like with the exception of 2015. And then it's always been the opposite, you know? I mean, it's always been kind of the same thing with Izzo as well. You know, he's always had a lot of guys who stay for three or four years. Um, And Kyle, you were going to. They didn't have guys, uh, I think 2015, like pre that.
2: John Shire, Kyle Singler, not one and dones but guys who were at least in the program for a little while until until you get to the, the top talented guys. The talent, Yeah. The Bagley's, and, et cetera.
4: And it, I mean, when he had all the freshmen, Izzo had what everybody calls his worst coaching job. And I feel like with the amount of talent that Coach K had, I wouldn't necessarily call this maybe his worst coaching job, but it's Coach K, Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, those guys. You'd have, like, the expectation is a national championship. That's like what everybody's going to assume that they're going to go do. You know, when you just look at the amount of talent that coach. For
3: Izzo, probably his best coaching job because Kyle said it, the injuries, what he was dealing with. I don't really think they were getting a whole lot of preseason love to at least make it this far. Um, People knew they were going to be good. Best conference. Best conference, uh, winning regular season and conference tournament championship. But for Duke, worst coaching job for K, he was still, you know, two minutes away from his what 13th one, shot. Final, one a, shot away from his he's, he's 13th a, he, final four he's a free throw
2: away from yeah, overtime a free throw. right right
3: I mean Barrett missed that big free throw but I think the one and done thing started catching up with him and that's kind of the risk you play with when you're going with these one and dones as Kyle was saying you get some teams who Kentucky and all that who had a couple guys stay maybe a year more and that might have been the difference with, with this one and done era but for Duke there was no bench and that was pretty evident all season long and I mean, they pretty much rode three very, very good freshmen and one good freshman in Trey Jones to where they were, and they were one shot away from a Final Four, and if they made it there, who knows?
2: Javon Delorier doesn't always score 10 points for them.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing that that they hit on and the thing that looking at this game that I agree with is the game plan never was there. This team never clicked. It was Zion Williamson is our guy, and that's pretty much all the offense was. I mean, they ran the same Zion post up on the left block continuously. Beat their heads against the wall with that play.
3: But also, when they sent Barrett to the line with 8.2 seconds, why isn't that ball in Williamson's hand? I mean, that guy gets so many three-point plays. He's so strong. And Duke, I believe, was in the bonus at that point anyways.
2: What's the stat? Is it Barrett was 0 of 9? This is the games with healthy Zion. It's Barrett 0 for 9, Jones 0 for 1. White o for one somehow, and then Zion o for one. Man, I think Barrett right. in those final Barrett, minutes took
1: the last like four three shots. So Why, why isn't the ball, ball
3: in the most dominant player's hands in call, college basketball? Call him a ball hog all you want. I think it's I
2: think it's a, I think it's warranted. What, who? Barrett.
3: Right, but I, no, think, I think that it's play he, he was drawn right up to Barrett. I mean, he wasn't looking anywhere else. But why not even go mm-hmm. to Williamson? He gets in the paint. He he's so strong of a finisher. He gets three point plays. That might have been the worst case scenario for Michigan State defensively, and you're not putting it in his hands. Who was as good as he was all game? That was the one area where you kind of scratch your head if you're uh, doubting Coach K.
1: It's an interesting point that I thought was was really cool. Listening to that podcast, that I was like, I wonder, wonder what these guys would say about it. But something that is very interesting, I'm sure to all Spartan faithful, everyone in Cedar Village, Michigan State moving on to the Final Four, four first since 2015, defeating Duke, and now they have a matchup with Texas Tech, the three seed on Saturday April 6th at 8:49 p.m. Eastern time Appro- approximately approximately yeah 8:49 is very weird but approximately 8:49 and not a lot of people obviously know who Texas Tech is so a little bit about Texas Tech their tournament run they began the tournament by taking on the 14th seed Northern Kentucky then defeated number 6 Buffalo then defeated in-state rival here for the Spartans number 2 Michigan 63 to 44 that score And then make it all the way to the final four. They defeated the number one seed, Gonzaga, in the the West region. That one was in Anaheim, California. In terms of Ken Palm, they're number 28 in adjusted offensive efficiency at 113.6, and then number one in adjusted defensive efficiency at 84.1. That is where the Red Raiders kind of hang their hat, is on the defensive end of the basketball. One of the best defensive teams in the country, the best, in fact. Hold teams to 59 points per game, 36% from the field, 29% from three-point range, while forcing 15.7 turnovers. And as I said, that's what they hang their hat on in pregame. Before um, the Red Raiders took on Buffalo, Nate Oates had some things to say about Texas Tech's defense.
3: What is it that they do in particular defensively that, that makes them so good?
0: I think the best thing they do is they're just tough and physical and hard-nosed. Now, schematic-wise, they don't let you get to your stuff. I mean, they, they get the ball to a side. They keep it to the side. Their help defense is better than anybody in the country. When they come to help, they're coming, and they're coming aggressive, and they're trying to steal the ball. And it, Look, if you put your head down on a drive, you're going to get a charge. They take charges better than anybody in the country. If you If you come and you're – Soft going to rim, they're going to block your shot. So it's you're either getting a charge, or you're getting your shot blocked. So we got to be really smart on our drives. We can't overdrive. We got to make sure we've got our spacing exactly right with guys where they're supposed to be. And I, I mean, our offense, we played against some pretty good defense, different ones. You know, Syracuse's zone was great, and we figured it out. But uh, you know, our offense is pretty good. I went through all the Big Twelve. Uh, numbers and analytics. Nobody in the Big 12 plays quite as fast as we do, so hopefully we can get out and transition a little bit like we've been able to do, but our defense is going to have to be elite in order to do that. It's hard to run off makes. It's a lot easier running off stops and rebounds and turnovers, so our defense is going to have to be elite, which will in turn help our offense. So
1: as you heard from Nate Oates there, this team does something very different than any other team defensively, and I spent a lot of time watching some film and breaking down what they do, and the thing that I found is they don't allow anything into the middle. On closeouts, ball screens, they always align with their defender by forcing him towards the baseline, towards their help defense, as, as NATO said in that quote. They force a lot of turnovers from that position, trying to get skip passes, some block shots with Tariq Owens, who's in the paint averaging 2.4 blocks per game. And to me, that is the scariest thing about this Red Raider team and the scariest thing if you're Michigan State. They're unlike any other team the Spartans have faced this season, including Michigan, who had the, I think it was the second or third best defense in the country. They just defend differently. They don't allow you to get in your sets like every other team. Well, and I think, to me, that's a scary thing.
3: And Xavier Tillman said it yesterday. Like Michigan State, they they switch pretty much everybody defensively. And um, they they like speeding teams up, turning teams over, blocking shots, like you said, Julian. But I think the matchup, it might favor Michigan State. I mean, granted, like you said, they don't let a whole lot in the paint. But it's still going to leave shooters there to make shots. You saw that with Buffalo. I mean, they were down quite a bit in that game, but clawed their way back by, by just jump shooting. It. And Michigan State certainly has the shooters, which why it comes back to McQuaid and Goins and guys like that being able to knock down shots when you get those looks. But I do think it benefits Michigan State in, in the front court. I mean, outside of Odiasse and, and Owens, who's not the biggest guy, although he's six foot ten. I think Michigan State, those bigs should really have a field day down low. Which, which comes back to Nick Ward potentially being an X-factor with just his size and Xavier Tillman, as we talked about, continuing to produce at the level he is. Because Odiasi, neither of those two bigs are, are really scoring threats. So I think for Michigan State, you don't have to worry about them on that end. And defensively, I mean, those guys are giving up quite a bit of pounds to both Tillman and Ward. So if anything, Michigan State, if they're able to control the glass and, and, and make shots when they get those looks, I think this matches up well for the Spartans.
2: Uh, Dayton Fife yesterday said transition is the one thing they're searching for is hoping to get out and, and avoid the the kind of half court pressure that that Texas Tech will run into and, and he didn't he said they're kind of like Illinois but less risky Illinois likes to take a lot of risks and, and go for those steals and, and, and try and pick your pocket and try to intercept passes Texas Tech doesn't really do that Uh, but he said transition which was kind of surprising me since MSU is the, that's the one thing where you could say outside of Matt McQuaid making a few un-Matt McQuaid-like plays against Duke, which should be mentioned at this point in the podcast since the guy went off here and there against yeah, the Devils. A couple of
1: plays. You don't
2: like that dunk? You, you have, you've never seen Matt McQuaid dunk a ball like that before. I don't know. Have you watched his uh, his high school mixtape? Oh, my god! It's all he used to do. All right, so
1: it's been four years, then. <laughs> it's been four years.
3: He threw that thing down. Wow.
1: And then did the, not the, see that coming. The no. spinning layup that that was just throw off. Yikes! It was, yeah. it was that
4: hilarious that hearing ridiculous. Izzo talk about the dunk. He's like, "I've never seen Matt do the dunk before." So <laughs> yeah. that's like what he, how he worried <laughs> today. And I was like, "What?"
2: <laughs> uh, running is going to be huge for MSU and attacking attacking the offensive glass is the one area defensively where Texas Tech is kind of susceptible. I don't quite know why because you know you think middle okay that's good that means they'll be in position for rebounds. Not quite. So it'll be interesting to see where they where they go.
1: And one thing that you said that's very that's something that I, I look at is they're very similar to Illinois and a team that has been in the head of Cassius Winston in his years here at Michigan State has been Illinois. I wonder whether Texas Tech will have that same effect, especially with Matt Mooney at the guard position, a guy who loves to get his hands right in the cookie jar.
2: Same kind of athlete though, you think to, to some of those guys that Illinois has? I think I think Illinois' wings have definitely have the edge. Yeah. I, I'm I'm curious because yeah, I I think the number to watch for MSU will be the turnovers. If they get X amount, it'll it'll bode well or it'll be problematic.
1: One thing that I think is going to be very important is three point shooting. But neither team, Gonzaga or Michigan, shot well from three. Gonzaga was seven of twenty six, while Michigan was a very lowly one for nineteen from three point range. Michigan State a better three point shooting team. They're going to need Kenny Goins to get going. Matt McQuaid's going to have to hit a, hit a couple. Cassius Winston is heated up after going through like a little small slump uh, towards the end of the season. I think being able to extend that Texas Tech defense, they love to not getting anything in the paint. The way to open that up is to hit from the outside.
2: Ninth best three point defense in the country according to uh, the young Bart Torvik. Twenty nine point three percent from defensively from outside. That's that's pretty impressive stuff. And it, especially when the two point defense is there too, it, it can be. It can be problematic if MSU doesn't hit shots. We saw how poorly Michigan fared, and that's mainly down to the fact that this year's t- Michigan team was one of John Beeline's worst jump shooting teams.
3: But even so, if MSU's not hitting shots, I think you. I know Texas Tech put up 75 on Gonzaga, which is probably right around their average, but Michigan State's still a pretty darn good defensive team. So if they're still struggling offensively, it's really three guys for Tech who do much of their damage in Culver and, the, and Mooney and, and Moretti, the Italian. I mean, those guys shoot it well. Culver's probably as good as anyone outside of a couple in the country for how talented he is as a sophomore. So even if you're not getting in your offensive flow, I don't think you, know, you, you start panicking even if you're turning it over because they're still a pretty darn good defensive team, and Texas Tech isn't some offensive buzzsaw. Granted, when they get it going, they're pretty tough to stop, but Michigan State's been a good defensive team all year, and a showing like they had against Duke, I think, you know, bodes well going into the Final Four.
2: This is the toughest team MSU has left. That's true and that's uh, out of the three.: That's a thing that uh... just as a whole. Bottom line, yeah, just in terms of I'd, I'd say the, so. Not necessarily the matchup, so much as they're hot Fire shooting power. they're hot shooting from outside, and they are tough defensively. I think oh yeah, ever since Kem-pomp started in like 2002. This might this, they're on pace to be the best defensive team since 2002.
3: I don't think Virginia's far off, though, either. No. I mean, they got more offensive firepower than in years past, and we know how good they are defensively. They're, right. they're scary. But, but I, any, I
1: agree with you, Kyle. I they're think hotter. This, this right. team, because we can all look at Duke, and yes, Duke had the talent, but Duke was not a good, no. cohesive basketball team. And I think what Chris Beard has done with this program is he has got every guy to buy in. And they also have multiple four, five, fifth-year seniors Grad on this too. roster and a grad transfer they don't they're not freshmen running around like zion williamson rj barrett and trey jones these are vets who have bought into a system i,
3: I do not remember texas tech playing duke early in the year
1: yeah it was at msg <laughs> i remember that it, it was just kind of snuck in there it was a because it, it it was a MSG. pretty crazy
2: ending huh
1: if i remember yeah, correctly it was, it was also a weird
2: physical kind of game kind of close and then not quite close right yeah, I mean they held Duke uh, to it was a three of
3: twenty one. from downtown. Yeah, but Duke doesn't. So Duke shoot Duke is not all a great well three-point shooting team, right?
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, no. I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I think if I'm MSU oh, heading yeah. into this one, because you a just knocked off Duke and everyone thought Duke was odds on to win it, but Texas Tech is is gonna test you if if nothing else, like, and, and of course the whole Chris Beard is Tom Izzo disciple <laughs> kind of indirectly, and he's bought into that.
1: Yeah. He, I think he, um, a lot of his quotes this week that I've seen have been, "Oh, Izzo's my idol," and I preach in my locker room Michigan State type basketball all the time. He's bought into this little Izzo little, discipleship, little there. mind
2: game too. A you mind get, game, get Izzo feeling himself a little bit. <laughs> I tell me, tell me you wouldn't if you were a coach like him. Oh, he's my idol. That's that. That can you can hear that. You've got to at least hear that.
3: I mean, the blueprint is there. If anything, and Michigan State's made it this far. Confidence is huge. Momentum's huge. Both teams have a whole lot of momentum um but it just comes down to execution that's where it all matters once you get down here to the last four teams but like Kyle's saying cautiously optimistic michigan state has to like its chance as well as anybody left and it just comes down can you hit shots can you limit turnovers and can you can, can you control the glass those are the really the three areas to watch if if michigan state does that well I, I don't see any reason really losing this game
1: and that's what set them apart from duke is that last 3 3 minutes or so michigan state executed better It'll be a very interesting game. A lot of people assumed that Duke was going to be the biggest team Michigan State has faced, but the road is not over yet. Final four now for Michigan State. I want to get you guys' the predictions for this one. I can't start first. I still don't know. I thought I Go had a Kyle. clear answer coming into this one. Kyle, give me your prediction because I I got to think about this.
2: <laughs> the only way either team's breaking 70 is if this game goes overtime. Okay, uh, I like team, that. Both teams are so good defensively that and, and MSU I think – will not suffer the same fate as Michigan in terms of three-point shooting. Ah, oh, man. Uh, Michigan State, 67. Texas Tech, 61. Uh, that's that's based off of Texas Tech. The, the luck's got to run out from outside sometime.
4: I mean, it's kind of a tough one. I don't know. I, I'm kind of with Julian on this. It's really tough for me to pick because Texas Tech and uh, it's just, it's to me. It feels like such a toss up because you want to buy into Michigan State after they take in, take down Duke, but at the same time, it also feels like it just I don't know. It just doesn't feel
3: it's a letdown game.
4: Is there a such thing yeah. as a trap game in the Final Four? Could be. It could be. I, I don't know. to be a trap game because
1: these... I think you would argue you would want Michigan State to face Michigan in this Final Four.
2: It's MSU's to lose at this point. The whole damn yes. thing. So it's, this is this is the toughest team they have left. The, yeah. Just the way
4: they're playing. And I mean, I'm I'm, I'm going to go Michigan State because it feels like also just the better coach team, the more experienced team. This Texas Tech team hasn't been here. um, So I'm going to go Michigan State, but it's not going to be a high-scoring one. I'll agree with Kyle on that. It's going to be in the 60s or so.
2: None of the other coaches have been to a Final Four.
4: Which is why I'm not understanding
3: all this, like, fear I'm gathering some some fans and students, whatever, that, like, this is some just saw of a team who's been here all the time like Joe was saying they're good they're good don't get me wrong they're but really it's their good. first time here as well and when the lights are brightest you don't know how guys perform you definitely like the coaching edge with Tom Izzo considering he's been here and like you were saying about Beard I'm just not all too sold on tech offensively just from a game-by-game basis I think they come and go and I still think Michigan's as good as Michigan State, is, that is, as good as a team defensively. Stick Culver, or stick Henry on Culver. He yeah. did great against Barrett.
2: And I think he, he goes away. That's right. air quotes. I
3: mean, Henry's been a good defender all year. I think Michigan State shoots it a little bit better than they have. They need to. I think they'll control the glass favorably, and I think those big men will have quite a day underneath the basket there. I think Michigan State wins it. I'll go by 10, 65, 55.
1: By 10. Yep. That's Woo. strong. That's a yep. lot to chew on. That's yep. strong. I've deliberated it, and as as I was at first, I came in on the Texas Tech will win it out. That was that was the idea I had. But the more I chew on it, the more I think about it, Michigan State is a much better offensive team than Michigan. They will not be held to forty four points. They'll shoot the ball better. They have not had the turnover issues that were seen earlier on in the season so far this tournament. And I'm going with the momentum. I'm going with Cassius Winston. I'm going with this team, continuing to move forward with Izzo outcoaching his opponents. I think he outcoaches his idol in this game, or the guy he looks who looks up to him in this game. And I think Michigan State wins and moves on to a national championship final score. I'm going to go 68 to 63. Turnovers will
3: be big. If, Turnovers are If huge. MSU has more than its average, I think they'll probably lose, just with the way Tech gets out and runs defensively. I would If agree. they keep it under there and they, they take care of the ball like they have pretty much since Bradley... Uh, I think it it bodes well for the Spartans. Because
1: that was the biggest thing to me against Duke.
2: If Duke doesn't turn the ball over
1: half as many times as they did, uh, 17 times in that game, that's a different ball game in and of
2: itself. It's not an MSU-like number to force 17 either. A
3: lot of those were just bad passes. Really bad passes. No looks and all that.
1: It'll be a very interesting game. A trip to the national championship is on the line Michigan State gonna take on Texas Tech in the final four we'll get to reunite with our boy Matt Michael the videographer for the Red Raiders in Minneapolis Minnesota we gotta find the collab We got, there, there's oh, we'll gotta. there's
2: gotta be something maybe since we <laughs> since we've got the primo location we've got the, the nice courtside spot shout out Jen from the NCAA <laughs> shout out Jen maybe he can just come over and just flick the camera our way for a little bit we
3: just get in a quick Texas Tech promo <laughs> <laughs> we could,
2: we could do it. Talk, all, tell, Turks all about it. Tell Turk's me it's all, not impossible. All in. No, it's he's not.
3: Gonna, he's just going to be. Mike's got Mike's got up. a lot of pull down there in Lubbock. Maybe we can uh, absolutely. Maybe does. we could get like a. We could throw Coach Beard on for like a pregame interview or something.
1: Stranger things. one on one.
2: Stranger things
3: have happened. Stranger things have happened. Yep, indeed.
1: It's gonna it's gonna be fire in Minneapolis julian mitchell myself Joe ellis kyle turk do a will live, be there a
2: live day of friday pod like from open practice oh that'd be awesome let's so, get it let's get it done we're gonna have content content is flowing I, and you know i'm a big roi guy we'll get the return on investment this week trust me
4: huge roi <laughs> guy <laughs> huge. I, I don't know anyone i don't even know that's what that stood for i didn't, I know, that did that either. Either. I didn't know what can he was pro- talking can about can you
2: process any of the three words in that phrase
4: Return on investment? Yeah. Turk <laughs> I, 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 I gl- get glaring at me like that. I'm just stumbling. I'm stumbling. Blue face, baby. Oh, <laughs> That's oh all I As th- th- soon as done. I heard ROI, I just no, went, oh, blue
3: face, baby. I'm done. End this
2: podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's going to be a fun one. In Minneapolis, Michigan State, in the Final Four, looking for a chance to go to the national championship. Again, Texas Tech, Saturday, April 6th at eight, approximately 8.49 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen to it live in the Lansing area on Impact 88.9 FM. We'll have all the content, recap, tweets, everything for you while we're there in Minneapolis. And it won't be too long before we talk to you again. We'll see you soon.